Word Gospel Podcast is happy to present Stories of the Saints, Episode 11. I have a different kind of uh, connection with each one of our guests, and um, by way of introduction today, let me share a quick story. So a handful of years ago, my wife and I had gone out for a morning walk on a Sunday before church, and in our neighborhood, we saw a sign out in front of one of the congregations, not one that we normally attend, but it said missionary testimonies today. And so we got home and said, why don't we go there and listen, listen to the testimonies. So we did. And I was happy and surprised that when we arrived, one of the men sharing was a dear friend of mine, Brother Francis Harper from Iowa. And the other man I did not know, but his name was Mark McCormick. Mark McCormick is our guest here this morning on Stories of the Saints. He is from Iowa as well. And so we listened to that service that day, and I was really impressed with how he shared his testimonies. He didn't go on and on. He was very succinct, and yet uh, he told them in a way that included the details and really brought out the, uh, the feeling within me that when I left that service, I just knew that God was mighty to save and very mighty to do his work anywhere in the world in his timing, regardless of how bad we as people try to mess up things sometimes. And so I, I remembered that service, and I've seen Mark a number of times since then. Um, we've been involved in some retreats up in Iowa, and, and our paths have crossed. As a matter of fact, I think a few months ago, our family was on a vacation up in South Dakota for a long weekend, and uh, we were down in the hotel getting breakfast one morning, and I looked over and said, uh, well, hey, Mark, what in the world are you doing here? And there was Mark McCormick in the hotel lobby. He was up there doing some work. And so we made plans that night and were able to get together and have just a little bit of fellowship over dinner. So that was pretty cool but uh, not where I expected to see him. I had to I had to do a double take there. So anyway, Mark, I want to welcome you this morning. Introduce yourself, maybe say a little bit about your family and uh, where you live and anything else you want to start off with. Well, uh, you know, first of all, just, you know, going to uh, when we uh, happened to meet each other in Rapid City, uh, that was... Uh, one thing that you know, I've learned a lot of things uh, through Francis, who I got to go with the missionary trips over there in Nepal and India. And uh, one of those things is there are uh, no coincidences. It's all by divine appointments. So uh, always appreciate those opportunities like that. But uh, so a little bit about me, um, born and raised in Council Bus, Iowa, and uh, born and raised in the church. Um, my mom has uh, always been very faithful and uh you know, taught me uh, prayer and, and different things like that, uh, everything about the scriptures and uh, the Lord. Uh, we had a small congregation there in Council Bluffs as I was growing up. I was the only uh, kid growing up uh, for a long time, and uh, eventually a little group uh, grew from there and uh, got to have some friendships from there. But uh, uh, like I said, born and raised there, went to college in, over, across the river over in Omaha, uh, Got done with the college and uh, was blessed with a job there uh, as an engineer. And that's uh, actually uh, what brought me to Rapid City that particular weekend. You were up there doing doing work. It was nice. You're right. It was nice that we ran into each other. You think of all of the 
hotels we could have been at. And you told me you were even staying in a different hotel like every night because yep. of your for to get the flyer miles and things or whatever you guys do. And um, so that we met up that morning was pretty cool, and we were able to get together that night for dinner. It's always nice no matter where you're at it just to me feels like home when you're sitting across from the saints and talking about things of the kingdom so we had a nice evening meal at the fancy panera bread company (laughs) panera is always good yeah well mark so you're um i thought we'd just start off today since the very first time i met you uh, was at that, um, what, you know, at the end of that missionary service, you played a little slideshow and you had some music and I was like, that sounds familiar. I'm like, I wrote that song. That was one of the, <laughs> one of the songs that I had wrote and recorded and put out on CD a long time ago. And, uh, and so I came up and introduced myself after the service and you're like, I know who you are, but I had not remembered meeting you in the past. But anyway, um, we, I, I do remember meeting you that morning, but Tell me about that trip. I think, was that your first trip to Nepal? Do you remember? You that, said you've been there several times. Yep, that was my first trip. I've uh, been over there a total of three times, and that was the first trip. All right. So tell me, how did you end up getting to a point where you were going to go to Nepal with Francis? So uh, I uh, <clears throat> that was 2008 as I graduated high school, went to reunion that summer, and at the conclusion of that reunion, Francis approached me and uh, just inquired to um, see if I'd be even interested in uh, going overseas. And, uh, you know, it's always been on my mind to do the work, the Lord's work. Um, and so to, to be asked an opportunity like that uh, was just awesome for me. And also on the same token— uh, realize how serious of a, uh, an opportunity that was. So uh, I said yes, and he said, well, you're going to need a, a few things in order to uh, go over there. And he goes through the logistics like, oh, you're going to need a passport, you're going to need your immunizations, things like that. But then he said, you're going to need a testimony, a testimony of Jesus and his church, and be able to share that with the people over there. And... I'd had some experiences up to that point in my life, but as far as, uh, you know, an experience to specifically share with them uh, about Jesus working in my life and uh, his true and living church, I wanted a little more to share with them. And so uh, I kind of relied relied upon faith uh, that he would provide that for me as I go to prepare to go over there. And uh, so I ended up having a, uh, a spiritual dream. Now, I guess before I get to the dream part, uh, I was actually doing, uh, I guess what you call that intermittent fasting, where uh, I was fasting uh, breakfast and lunch every day in preparation for going over there. And uh, so through that course of time and just studying scriptures, and uh, I was I'd never really actually read through the whole Book of Mormon at that point in my life and uh, was getting through a good portion of that and uh, ended up uh, one night having a a spiritual dream where I uh, saw the golden plates and uh, I could even see the the hieroglyphic, you know, inscriptions on them and, uh, you know, could see the the brackets holding the, the sealed portion and things. 
Um, and I saw myself actually uh, presenting it to a relatively long line of people, one by one. And some of them would accept it, and and they you could see the joy on their in their countenance and their faces as they would accept it, and then others would not accept it, uh, unfortunately, and and uh, they had different responses. Some of them just of indifference, uh, others actually of uh, anger, uh, and um, you know would mock me and, and things of that nature, and uh, so. After the course of that dream, uh, I was, first of all, very thankful for the experience, but was also pondering the meaning of that, um, which up to this point in my life, I've, I've been able to see some of that come to pass where I've seen people that have accepted it, and I've also seen people that have been indifferent to it, and I've also seen people that have been uh, been angered by the, the sharing of it, and uh, even you know, and, and the mockery and things. And uh, another interesting uh, point to put out there, uh, you know, you can look in your church history and uh, uh, the research and documentation about like, you know, what they were supposed to weigh and the approximate dimensions and things of that nature. And at the point of having that dream, I didn't know any of that. After I had that experience, I kind of looked for that information and found it and it really matched the description of what I saw. So I, I really appreciate that um, experience that the Lord gave me. Uh, and, and I did use that uh, to share uh, with the saints over there of the validity, validity of the Book of Mormon and, uh, and along with that, uh, the truth of the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, when you and... Uh when you and Francis went over there, had Francis been over? So you went to Nepal. Did you go to India as well, or where all did you go when you were over? So the the first year was two thousand nine, and we went over. The, I went over there just to Nepal. Uh, the two years after that, I I went to both Nepal and India. Francis had been over there quite a few years before that. I think two thousand four was his first year over there. Okay, so he had made some connections and at least had some connections over there when you guys went. Mm-hmm. Now he, he, I remember him talking about a man by the name of Ram. Was it Ram Baral? Was he from Nepal? Yes. Am I missing? Yep. Okay. Um, tell me about uh, tell me about some of the people you met over there when you guys went on your trip. So uh, I've got to meet Ram Baral as well. Uh, actually, one of the uh, my last trip over there, uh, we're able to do part of the mission with him, uh, which was a, a real, good, real good experience, um, you know, because obviously he's Nepalese. He was in, uh, perfect for interpreting for us. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, so Ron Baral, uh, uh, wonderful man that uh, has a love for the Book of Mormon and for the restored church. And it's, it's kind of interesting going through his walk. But he came... Uh, he came across uh, the Latter-day Saint Mormons out of Utah and uh, joined the church there. And as he started, you know, studying uh, more and more and getting more involved, he thought, "Boy, things aren't quite adding up to what I've been reading in the scriptures and the Book of Mormon." And uh, he ended up getting a copy of Francis Harper's book, 
reads uh, some of the testimonies in there and uh, ends up uh, uh, contacting Francis. And then so there's a connection there. Uh, and so that's how Francis ends up going over there initially. <laughs> how in the world did he get a copy of Francis Harper's book? Was he living here or was he in India when he got that? I believe he was Nepal. actually over here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he's he's been a professor down in, uh, I think it's South Carolina. Okay. Now, just a side note, sorry to interrupt your train of thought. I heard that he recently had an audience with the president of the United States. Uh, that is correct. Do you know um, that story? Uh, I did not get get the details of the story myself. Okay. Uh, I look forward to talking to him with about okay. it. Okay. I briefly, I believe he talked to them, talked to the president about the promises in this land mm-hmm. that we know about. But anyway, pretty neat story. So, yeah, so you met Rom, and then who else did you meet over there? So, uh, Rom actually wasn't the first person I met in person as mm-hmm. far as the Nepalese people. Uh, Rom helped us uh, figure out the best airfare and how to get over there and the itinerary kind of stuff. Uh, but the the first uh, Nepalese man that I got to meet over there uh, is a wonderful man by the name of Dil Garun. And uh, his testimony is just superb, um, which I'd like to share with you. Yes, um, go, go ahead. So he uh, was a Buddhist. And he's in the neighborhood of 20 years old-ish, give or take. And uh, he... Uh, I believe he was rooming with someone else in his apartment there. And one night he hears a knock at the door and uh, he goes down to open the door and uh, doesn't see anyone there. And he's thinking, well, that sure is odd. The next night it happens again, identical. And the third night, uh, it happens again, except for this time, uh, he he actually uh, sees a, a a personage and says, "Dill, come unto me." And he ponders, "Okay, this uh, really doesn't make sense." And as he would share this with me, he'd say, "You know, the the Buddhist religion doesn't account for this type of event." So he was really perplexed. And he, he goes and he, he's sharing with friends and people he knows. And uh, one of his friends is uh, uh, a Muslim and says, well, it's Allah. You need, you, it, you need to go to Allah. And Dill ponders and I says, no, that just doesn't feel right. And uh, a couple other individuals, I think Confucius was another one. And then uh, he had a Christian friend saying, well, that's Jesus. And immediately, even the, the moment that, that uh, his friend told him Jesus, Dill felt this swelling within his heart, and he knew that this was right. And it was Jesus that was saying, Dill, come unto me. And so he becomes a Christian. And he ends up becoming a pastor, uh, non-denominational Protestant. And... Uh, and at this point in his life, he's he's actually in India uh, this whole time period. And uh, for that, uh, kind of set the stage for you. India was uh, economically better to live in than Nepal. And uh, so at the uh, fast forward in his life a little bit, 
Uh, he ends up getting married and uh, starts having a couple kids. And the Lord gives him a dream. And in that dream, he uh, sees himself uh, climbing a mountain. And as he's climbing that mountain, he's helping other people climb up this uh, mountain. And they get to this point, and then he sees these hands come down and uh, help th- help them finish climbing up the mountain. And that dream concludes, and, and he ponders, boy, what, what's the Lord telling me here? As he ponders, the Lord opens up to him that, well, the only mountains that you know of are in Nepal, and you need to go there. So uh, he says, okay. And, and at that moment in his life, uh, he had a pretty good job that was able to support his family. Uh, he was basically a, a, a limo driver for a, a wealthy family. And he goes to tell his boss, um, I'm going to have to leave where uh, my family and I need to go to Nepal. And his boss goes, oh, am I not paying you enough? Uh, you know, we can make different arrangements. Just please stay. He says, no, the Lord's told me to go to Nepal. So he goes there. And he has quite the struggles uh, as far as things of this world. He has difficulty finding work. That uh, full-time job he had in India, not so much in Nepal. Uh, he was lucky, I believe, to go to work once a week uh, doing similar work. And uh, you do do that amount of work over a course of time, uh, you don't have a lot of money to take care of your family. So this uh, particular uh, time, uh, he goes to go to work, and his wife, Rebecca, uh, says, Dill, uh, when you come back home, can you— pick up uh, some chicken so we can have something to eat tonight. He goes, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, and uh, Dill, can you bring home some shampoo? We don't, we're out of shampoo. Oh, okay. Then his little son comes up, Simone, I believe. Hey, Daddy, or Papa for them. Hey, Papa, can you bring home a chocolate bar? Yes, son. And he pulls it. Go. He leaves the house and <clears throat> looks in his uh, uh, wallet there, and he, he he knows nothing's there. He doesn't know how he's going to provide. And goes about his work day. Comes to the close of his work day, which, by the way, I have to add, he, if I remember right, he had to walk one hour each way to go to that place to, to drive around the, the wealthy family there. So he comes to the end of the day and uh, his employer goes, hey, Dill, before you go, I've got uh, this box of stuff here. He goes, um, for me? Yes, for you. And don't open it till you go home. Oh, and here's some extra 
uh, rupees. That's the Nepalese currency. So that you can uh, you can get a taxi to go home with the bucks. You don't have to carry it an hour. So he thanks uh, his employer and gets the taxi, goes home with that crate of stuff, doesn't know what's in it, and he opens it up when he gets home, and it's two big chickens, uh, plenty of shampoo, and uh, some other uh, hygiene product stuff, and chocolate. Mm. Everything that his family needed and even wanted within mm-hmm. reason, the Lord provided. Dill didn't say a thing all day long. He just went about his day. Mm. The Lord takes care of his people. <laughs> That's, uh, you had, you had a testimony written down. You said a healing of sickness through Elder John and Dill Garung in the midst of travels. Does that spark? A, <laughs> yeah, yes, it does. You want to talk about that? So uh, that was, that was uh, probably the, the last trip, I believe. Uh, there's kind of some humor to this one. Um, so we were actually in uh, Naxabari, India. Uh, it's just on the eastern edge of Nepal there uh, in, in India. And uh, we were going to go from there uh, to a different part in the state of Sakim of India uh, to some other uh, saints. And... Uh, I I got really sick. I had a pretty good, a pretty high fever, and you know, just complete drain of energy. I didn't th- think I was going to be able to to make that trip, and so it was about oh five in the morning or so. We were supposed to leave around seven, and uh, I believe it was yeah. So there was John uh, Chetri. Uh, Janik and uh, Mandel Garoon, and also Francis Harper. And uh, I believe it was uh, Janik that came by first. And I said, Janik, I, I need to get administered to. I'm pretty sick. And he goes, Okay. And then he walks off. And I was kind of thinking, oh, um, Okay, maybe he's going to get one of the other elders. And time passes, and I, uh, I see Dill, and I, I said, Dill, I, I need to be administered to. I'm sick. Oh, okay. And then he walks off. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's looking for an elder too. And Francis comes by, who, by the way, his first language is English. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I go, Francis, I need to get ministered to. And he goes, okay, and then he wanders off. <laughs> and I've, I've started to think, okay, maybe I won't get administered to. <laughs> but uh, that's the humor part. Um, shortly after Francis, um, uh, John and uh, uh, Janet come over and they minister to me. And what was pretty, what was unique about this administration First of all, I was healed of the sickness, you know. But uh, this John Chetri, he doesn't speak any English. And uh, he had the confirming prayer. And as uh, when he started his prayer, it was all in Nepalese. I could not understand a word, but I could understand the spirit. And I knew 
that I was going to be healed, and in, in which I was. And that's probably one of the most powerful administrations that uh, I had received. Mm. And then, obviously, from there, we were able to continue on uh, the rest of our journeys there. You said that, um, I don't know if this is a person's name. If, if For our listeners, uh, Mark was kind enough to write down just some testimonies he's had, and so I made some notes here. But uh, it looks around the same time you, you have a testimony seeing the uh, evil spirit in Garunkola. Garunkola. And it looks like you had some <coughs> baptism of many yep. saints there. What do you want to speak to that? So um, Garun Kola is actually a place. Uh, it's, it's the Garun River is what that means. And uh, that was an amazing day. And, uh, y- you know, for us over here in the United States, um, you know, whether you, you start your service at 1030 or 11 o'clock, if you start at 1030 and you're ending at 1130 and it goes to 1132, You'll start to see some people. Boy, it's it's about time to go over to Perkins or something, right? Yeah. I learned a, a special lesson this day, and so uh, we started about eight in the morning with worship, and uh, like like we said there, um, thirty two baptisms, I believe. Wow. Which that was in and of itself amazing to witness, you know, and and over there. Usually, at that point of the mission, you know, every town that you went to, you'd usually have anywhere from at least five to 15 baptisms. So this was even more than that. And uh, so during the baptismal service, one of the ladies come, comes out to the water uh, there where Francis and I were taking turns baptizing them. And... Uh, Francis, uh, this lady went to Francis, and uh, we kind of got paused here in in the service because all of a sudden she just kind of uh, froze in her position, and she started uh, speaking kind of frantically, which obviously Francis and I could not understand the words, but we could understand the spirit, like I said earlier. And... Uh, what we found out afterwards was uh, she was fighting off an evil spirit. And the evil spirit was, it, they were talking back and forth, and everyone else could hear both sides of the conversation. And uh, the, the evil spirit was saying, don't get baptized. Don't get baptized. And she's fighting off saying, get thee hence, in the name of Jesus. So I got to witness that, and the evil spirit does leave. And we continue on with the baptism service. And so then uh, after the baptism, then we have a confirmation service, 32 people. And uh, then we have an uh, administration service where there are about 20 different administrations. And we just, as one body, prayed for, you know, prayed for each other as the elders laid their hands upon each individual person with a special need. And then we had uh, we, we had sacrament, served the emblems, you know, in remembrance of the body and blood of Christ. And over there, um, there has been uh, some uh, push from the, the, the Protestants to get Christianity over there. So uh, there are 
other denominations of Christianity throughout, and, and uh, a lot of it's evangelical, which uh, in the particular uh, sect of evangelical that was over there that the, some of these people were part of, uh, and that we actually saw through a lot of our, our, our converts, uh, they would have seem to have a problem with when one person prays, everybody's praying, so you're not listening to each other. And they started doing that during the sacrament service. You know, as we we offered the prayer of the bread, and, and they did that. And I kind of looked to the other elders to see if they were going to correct it. And we were just going to move forward, and I, I felt prompted to stop the service and correct it, which, you know, you could really cause some damage there if you're not careful. And so I get up there, and to this day, I, I really don't know exactly what I said. I, I just know that the Spirit was guiding me on the words to say, uh, to be translated by Dill. And, and part of the confirmation of this is, you know, usually, you know, when, when you're in a situation like that where you have someone translating for you, you'll, you'll be talking, you know, which that's kind of an art too. You got to know kind of where to pause to let whoever's interpreting get the message to you. That, that's something to learn. But uh, usually when you're doing that, you say your words and you kind of almost have like a, a blank stare. But once the message is interpreted, then you, then you see the, the light bulbs come on and, you know, and, and they, they get the message. I was seeing the light bulbs turn on and, and the, the countenance on the faces, the reactions before the translation. And uh, the only thing I can remember is the scripture came to mind of uh, uh, Paul the Apostle talking about, how, you know, basically one person needs to speak at a time so that all may be edified. And, uh, you know, we went, a, we got done with that continued on with the sacrament service. And uh, the Spirit was just, as one of the strongest services I'd been in. And mind you, we did all these services nonstop. And we started at 8 in the morning, and it was about 4.30 p.m. when we all knelt down. And I mean all knelt down and offered the benediction prayer. And the amen was said, and then it was silence, and we just stood there kneeling before the Lord. Mm. And we didn't want it to end. Eight and a half hours of worship, and we weren't done. We mm. didn't want it to end. Mm. That's the cow worship I'd like to see every Sunday. <laughs> you know, as you shared that, I was thinking, like, how important each person is to to our Heavenly Father and... um you know, he's not just making rules like, you know, follow these rules because I like to make rules. But how you, how important each person is that he wants in true worship when our hearts are really being poured out to him. He knows that each person, each each member of the body has something to give and that each member can um, gain something from hearing that member and that no one's more important than the other. You know, especially when you're praying according to the spirit, you know, as opposed to what, what we see sometimes in our services. That's, that's remarkable. And, and that they saw the need or, or they saw the wisdom in that 
I mean, how valuable does that show you that each person is, you know? It's not just about you and God, but each one of you can minister to the other as you pray to your to your common creator. That's exactly. Well, and, you know, like I was sharing, you know, we had, you know, I don't know, you know, 15 administrations in that administration service. You can see in, in other forms of uh, Christianity that when they do things similar to that, they'll usually just do kind of group prayers that to make it go faster and, you know, get through with it. Mm-hmm. That's not how the Lord works in his church. He cares about each individual mm. and will take address everyone individually, no matter what the time takes. I can't imagine the stamina um, it takes to worship. It sounds silly, but to worship for that long. And so I think without... Uh, having the Holy Spirit involved, you know, that becomes very tiresome or could become very tiresome. But that's... Speaking of tiresome, so this particular experience I just shared with you, there's there's a little precursor testimony to this the night before. So to get to this Garun Kola, we got there. Uh, it's in western Nepal, kind of in the, the desert plains of it, so to speak. And to get to this place, you had to cross this same river three different times that you had to cross by foot. Mm. You know, no no jeeps, no nothing, by foot. And, you know, I can remember, and for some reason didn't have a flashlight. Of all things I didn't have, I didn't have a <laughs> flashlight. It was going by moonlight. Thank goodness it was a full moon out. Um, but, uh, you know, we so we got there, and we had a small meal together. And where we were staying that night is... Uh, uh, they they had a hut, which is where the church service would be, and um, they had a, a couple of hammocks for Francis and I outside. Well, later that night, there was this huge storm that came up, and it just soaked us everybody. And we you know got woke up by that. We huddled into that hut, waited for the storm to pass. We reset up camp. Finally, got dried off a little bit to where we could go back to sleep. And uh, I just fell asleep, and I, w- I woke back up to a second round of the storm coming. And I could you could kind of see where it was coming, the way the lightning was striking and everything. And I said, Lord, I know that we have a big day tomorrow, and we need our strength to do it. Can you please part the storm so that we can have a good night's rest? And I watched before my eyes that storm actually split like that. Mm. Stars above us, storm around us. And we were able to, I, I knew we'd be okay. I, I slept the rest of the night. And then we had this eight and a half, eight and a half hour worship. Wow. Wow. What's a, I can't imagine, you're in another country and you're, you're walking by moonlight and you're crossing a river and, oh, you got to be thinking like, what is in the water? What's going to get me? <laughs> Did those thoughts those thoughts creep in now and then? So that, here, here's another uh, nugget of wisdom from Francis, and it is uh, no matter what the situation you find yourself in, you learn to say, it's just the way I like it. <laughs> it's just the way I like it. Yep. Nothing like a, a walk at night, I like to go by the moonlight. No flashlight. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. You said you and Francis had a, um, you had a little bit of a, 
is it a dark spirit or trying to keep you from going to Nepal or trying to keep you from going back? Maybe, probably, maybe not your first trip. Is that right? That's that'd be the second trip. Yep. What was that? So, uh, yeah, I, uh, it was the night before going and, you know, basically if, if you were to read Joseph Smith's experience about how the, the dark spirit, um, and, you know, basically froze his body and he, he felt as if he was going to perish, you know, and going to despair. That is identically what came over me. I, I was awakened in the middle of the night uh, to this dark spirit in my room and it had frozen my body. Uh, and I knew I needed God to release me from this dark spirit. And so I just prayed with, uh, Every fiber of my being, Lord, save me from Satan. May this spirit, this evil spirit, depart in the name of Jesus Christ. And just, uh, just kept saying that over and over, probably three or four times. And uh, immediately, just like you know, you you turn on a light in your bedroom. It was just like, you know, goes from dark to light, just like that. When the Spirit of God uh, did come into my room, that evil spirit was vanquished. And I knew I was saved from that. And, you know, I uh, I really thought, you know, why, why is this happening to me? And it was because I was on a business trip for the Lord, doing his work. And, uh, you know, it, you know, even if you think back to, you know, like Joseph Smith's experience, you know, what was about to be done there? The Lord was going to use Joseph Smith to do his work. And when Satan knows about that, he, he wants to stop at every chance he can get, and he does that with all of us. Mm. What was it like traveling with Francis? That was just such a blessing. Learned new things every day about the scriptures, you know, just to, to talk with someone like, like Francis every day, every morning, every night, um, the, the scriptures that would just come to his mind. And, you know, that, that phrase is just the way I like it. Actually learning how to apply that in your life when things just aren't going so good, you know, uh, those were some of the, the the big things that I really gathered from being able to spend time with him, you know, and and always, you know, and this and their thing too, you know, like the the scripture Peter says to always have an answer with with meekness. Francis is a man that uh, truly lives that. He always has a testimony to share, and and is always able to, and that's another thing too, always appreciate his ability to look at everyday events, everyday tasks that we're doing, and see God's hand working in our lives. Because, it, you know, if we take the time, just like he does, anybody can do it, we will find God working in our lives. Mm -hmm. There were some precious hours I spent with him in the mornings when we were up there for several months, and uh, it's... I know Francis is a man that uh, that's that's the life that you see the fruit 
in his life is a man who gets up early every day and spends time with his Lord. And I imagine he's still doing that today. Yes, he is. Yeah. And so that, that shapes a man, that shapes a man's character and who he is. Um, he can't be that without all of those hours he's put in in prayer and reading the word. <laughs> he still sends out. Um, yeah. Well, you said that you and Francis had a, um, you both were were hesitant, or you had a hesitation before you both went, uh, and I think that was in 2011, and you had yes. a little testimony about that. You want to share that? Yeah, that's uh, not necessarily one of those uh, feel-good ones, at least for me, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, right. it's, a, it's a good learning lesson uh, for me and for everyone who hears it. Um, so this particular uh, occasion, we were... Uh, Celebrating Ron Baral's fathers, um, it was in their culture. It's a called a thousand moon birthday celebration, and um, there was like five hundred people there at his birthday party. So we go there and we pay our respects, and 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 that you know on the cultural side that was kind of neat to see how they do that, and. So come to the conclusion where we're uh, going to be departing. We're waiting for a taxi. We see a man there, uh, a beggar. He's crippled. His uh, legs don't work. You can see he's got uh, um, flip-flops at- attached to his uh, hands so to try to minimize the, the scarring mm-hmm. as he's crawling around the earth. He's begging, asking for alms. Francis and I are waiting there a very long time, waiting on this taxi. And this is my part of the testimony. I'm watching this. I watched some uh, locals there uh, walking by. And as he's asking for alms, they, they spit in his face, mock him, yell at him. You can see the the pain, both physical and emotional and everything going on there that he was experiencing. Of course, uh, uh, well, and I, I should also add, it was just Francis and I. We had no interpreters there or anything. So it was just us Americans there. Hmm. And the Spirit was touching my heart about the third chapter of Acts where there's the the man asking for alms at the the entrance to the temple there. And Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I give thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and walk. And you can read the account of what transpired there. The man was healed instantly. And it was a witness to all the people that were at the entrance of the temple. This scripture was running through my mind. Now I'm a priest, so I don't deal with laying on a hand. So I, you know, I was like, well, that's not really in my arena. So <laughs> I kind of hesitated and pushed it off. The taxi comes. We get in the taxi. We shut the doors. We both look at that man. 
And then Francis turns to me and he says, I wonder if we shouldn't have been like Peter and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I give thee in the name of Jesus and Nazareth, arise and walk. Surely that was the Holy Spirit touching both of us for that. And if you look at the circumstances of what the Lord would have, not just healing that individual, it would have been a witness to 500 people there at that thousand men celebration, Ron Burrell's father's birthday get-together. Uh, because of our hesitation, the opportunity was missed. Mm. That reminds me of so many warnings that the Lord gives us in Doctrine and Covenants and the testimonies of many other folks in that opportunity is passing, opportunity is passing, time will not wait. We need to seize opportunities given to us, have our eyes and ears open all the time. I mean, what an encouraging... Uh... It's encouraging for each one of us. That's that's pretty heavy. Well, I, I've even now kind of touched by the spirit there to I don't know spend those hours like Francis does in the morning. Spend those hours on your knees in prayer and and in the Word. So those opportunities come, you can you can do that. That's that's not something that would be. <laughs> I can't even imagine doing that and all of the doubt that must fill one's mind before they do that. And, and the, you know, the spirit wasn't that after the uh, Pentecost and the even the apostles, you know, before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they, they were told, you know, like Christ told Peter, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren, you know, even all the time they spent with Jesus. I have a testimony about that very scripture. Well, let's, let's hear it. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so... Uh, I travel for work occasionally, like we mentioned earlier, and at this particular location, I found myself in Washington, D.C. Uh, I believe this is this is the May of 2017. And uh, uh, if you're not familiar with, in May uh, of every year, there's a National Day of Prayer. And um, for those of you who don't know, during that time period, there's a uh, non-denominational group uh, they're in D.C. that they will uh, set up uh, a booth there on the mall, uh, right outside of uh, Capitol, uh, right outside of the Capitol, and they will read the entire Bible all the way up until the the National Day of Prayer ceremony there at the mall. And anybody can go up there and read out of the Bible, be a part of the reading of the Bible on the mall on the Capitol Hill. And uh, I had a little bit of extra time, and so I was walking around, and I saw this, and it didn't even occur to me that I was on our, in our nation's capital on the National Day of Prayer. So there again is divine appointment. And uh, I go and talk with some of the, the pastors there that are kind of leading the event and got to understand what, uh, how I could actually be involved uh, and, and get to read out of the scripture. And uh, of course, they were, uh, and they had so many different versions of the Bible. You could, uh, whatever, I can't remember what version they were using, but after talking with me, he said, You probably like a King James one. And I said, Yes, I would. <laughs> and so he, he said, Well, just get in line there and I'll have the King James ready for you. 
And uh, I wasn't in a position that I could really hear like where we were in the scripture. Uh, and so it came my turn. And, and well, before that, I should say, as I was in line there, I was praying. I said, Lord, let the scriptures that I get to read here today be something very profound because there's probably not very many restorationists that have been able to sit here on the Capitol Hill and read the scriptures out into the public like this. So let it be just something profound. Came to my turn, and the very first verse was Luke twenty-two thirty-two, when Jesus tells Peter, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Mm-hmm. And that pierced my heart knowing that uh, <laughs> it was very profound. The Lord's telling me, you need to be fully, 100% converted to me. Mm. Mind you, I've been born and raised in the church. I have, you know, like right. sprint, I've got 30 testimonies here, you know, just to no doubt, and I've got more than that. But still, not converted yet. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> That had to be that had to be something. How many people were there? A lot. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of people. Yeah, it was just kind of an open event where people kind of coming and going, so it was kind of hard to get a count. Hmm. I saw something in here. Um, well, I can't find it now, but there was something you had a testimony, and I'm. Corey and I spent quite a bit of time talking about uh, life after death and eternal life and the gospel, um, and the fullness of the gospel, and, and what we know about that. You had a testimony, I believe, with your grandfather. Mm-hmm. Did you share that? Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> my grandfather was uh, Robert G. Smith, and he was an elder in the church. Um, there's actually a testimony of his that you can find online, I think, on that, uh, oh, what is it, John Tandyland, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, where <clears throat> he was given a message to give to the church leadership back in 2000 or thereabouts. But uh, he passed away in 2002, and uh, my grandma would pass away uh, in May of 2003. And on two uh, specific occasions, one in March and then one just a couple days before uh, she would pass. Uh, my grandfather, uh, who had already passed away, would visit both my grandmother and I. And for me, my, my end of it, uh, I was in, uh, and it was at the, it was like within a fifteen minute period of each other, with my grandma being visited and myself. And uh, for me, it was in my fifth period English class. I was in the back row. And I just, uh, the first time, I felt a uh, a very strong presence of, like, just someone standing behind me, but there's a wall there. and I, But I knew someone was there. I go home and I tell Mom about this. She says, well, you need to talk to Grandma and see what it, she experienced. And we talked about timing, like I said, it was the same time. And... Uh, m- in, in both instances, my grandma actually physically saw my grandfather walking around and, and the second occasion actually talked with her and uh, uh, told her about how it's all real. And mm. 
and that's big of itself. It's all yeah. real. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and let me just uh, go into a little bit of rabbit hole on the secondary testimony of my, my mother's about this same thing. My mom was uh, mourning uh, very heavily upon losing her father, uh, my grandfather. And uh, she, she'd, you know, she'd just go to bed and her hands would be clenched and they'd wake up clenched, you know, just from how much she was mourning. And she really needed God to touch her. She needed a spiritual experience, something about life after death, knowing that her dad was okay, knowing that, you know, it's all right. She gets that. She wakes up to uh, her father singing in an audible voice, you'll never walk alone. Mm. And, uh, and then soon after that, a few days later, uh, has a dream where she is uh, talking with him on the phone. And she knows that he's dead and that he's in you know, paradise. And uh, talking about the gospel, she asked him you know, you know, about paradise and this and that. And he goes, it's all real. Same message. It's mm-hmm. all real. And and then just a little bit of a confirmation to that dream. So, you know, it, you know it's more than just a dream. Uh, they were having trouble in, in real life. They were having trouble finding his will. They looked through everything. It was supposed to be in a certain file cabinet. They looked there. It wasn't there. And in the dream, she goes, Dad, we can't find the will. He says, you know, I told you where it was at. It's in this file cabinet, this many files back, and there it is. Well, she gets up the next day and she goes, I'll just go check it. I've already checked it. And it was exactly there. <laughs> Number of files back and everything. Wow. So it is all real. <laughs> I, I should also add the, uh, so the second time uh, that Grandpa had visited both myself and my grandma, uh, that's when he would talk to her, telling her about it's all real. And then for me, uh, it was identical to the first where I felt a presence behind me, except that I could I could identify that it was him. I just knew. And then uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and share with you. Um, a couple years later, we would end up losing my aunt, um, and and she passed away in the hospital. There, we it was kind of one of those unique situations where the whole family was able to be there as she passed, and I was the last one to leave the room, and. Uh, and it, and it was the sickness that she had. It was one of those uh, sealed off rooms where you had like three entrances you had to go in to get there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you're in that room, it's the noise is strictly from in that room. So like I said, I'm the last one to leave the room. And I, uh, I what am I? I'm uh, 13 or 14 years old at this point. Yeah. Uh, I was just kind of, I was just praying and I, uh, and then I was kind of saying my goodbyes to my aunt's body there because she's gone at this point. And I, and I knew that concept, you know, that the spirit leaves the body and it's just the body there and the spirits, you know, with Lord. And I, I made the comment, I said, well, I don't even know why I'm talking because, you know, it's just a body here. And I very, uh, clearly and distinctly hear uh, three footsteps 
walking out of that room there. I'm the only one in the room, and it's a sealed-off room. And I knew that there was, you know, that, that she was there, you know, or at least someone was there, mm. hearing, hearing me uh, say my goodbyes like that. Mm. So, like I said, it is all real. <laughs> Mark, talk to me. I can't believe how... I can't believe how fast time goes by when, when we do these. It's like I'm sitting here and listening to your testimonies. I look down and like an hour's gone already. I was like, oh, boy, I can't wait until I don't have to deal with time anymore. It's such a nuisance to me. <laughs> yep. What were you thinking, God? <laughs> tell me, I like to do this just an open-ended thing. Just tell me your testimony of Jesus. And it doesn't have to be whatever comes to your mind. Just talk to me about Jesus, what he means to you. Well, I do know that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that he is a personal God. I know that from personal experience. Uh, and, and I have to share a couple testimonies to illustrate this to you, how I know. Um, and one of them is a shared testimony between my mother and I where uh, I uh, – uh, when I was a teenager, I was a food service technician, you know, delivering food and milk and juices, all that, to the uh, floors of the hot local hospital there. And this uh, particular um, hospital room, uh, or excuse me, uh, room where you, the refrigerator and the food storage was at, uh, was kind of sealed off from the rest of the area. There it was kind of an awkward uh, setup, and. Uh, kind of like the last testimony was pretty. You know, it was just sealed off, and it, I'm just stocking the fridge, and I hear uh, there's a, a a phone there that rings three times, which never rang before because, like I said, I did this like every day, mm-hmm. and then I hear an audible voice just call out my name, Mark, 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 and I thought. What am I experiencing? This is something of a spiritual nature. Because the voice was in the room and it was audible. There's no one in here. That was about 5.45 p.m. And I uh, I uh, go home, uh, still living with my folks at the time. And uh, my mom received a message and I, I brought it here because I want to quote it to you correctly. She was uh, preparing to get in the shower or something like that, and and these words were just impressed upon her mind, and they kept repeating themselves and repeating themselves, and they wouldn't stop until she wrote them down. And and then that she needed to give the message to me, that I needed it. And this was the message. It was given at the same time that the Lord called me out, Martin. Mm. 5.45 p.m., February 10th, 2010. O worn and weary servant of God, lift up your face and smile. The master calls. There's work to do. A world to win. Sweet souls to save. All bondage he'll cause to cease. Rejoice, young man, and lift your head. The master calls for you. Wow. Now, that's a personal God right there. and That's not even language that we would yeah. speak, you know. 
And then you hearing that voice and your mom, oh my goodness. Exactly. You know it's the Lord talking. Mm. And, it, it, you know, I look back at, at my life so far and I really question about why do I tend, I, I'm a person, I guess I tend to doubt, and I don't know why that is. I, I'm trying to get better at it. And I, I think I'm getting better at it, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> You're the only one. <laughs> the rest of us don't yeah. doubt. <laughs> so this experience was in February 2010. I go to Nepal there of May 2010. Mind you, that's when the I have the experience with the dark, the evil spirit and such. A wonderful experience there uh, in Nepal and in India, wonderful testimony, some we've already shared. And we go about, and I'm in the midst of college, heavy college workload. That always tended to kind of wear me out eventually, you know, the course of a school year. Go again uh, to Nepal in 2011. And uh, uh, then that summer, uh, I was uh, out of work. So finances were becoming an issue. I uh, still had school to pay for, and I was always trying to pay ahead so I didn't do any student loans and things you know, like that. And so I had all these different stresses going on. And by the end of summer, starting up school, still no job, no finances, needing to pay for school, needing to do school, I just let all those things of life get to me. And I started to just kind of get into, uh, I wasn't necessarily doubting, but I wasn't trusting. Mm-hmm. And in my prayers, I found myself uh, kind of going to the attitude of, why, Lord? Why this? Why that? Why are things the way they are? Not necessarily upset with them, just, you know, conversing with them. Uh, and I, uh, where I went to college, they had a north campus and a south campus and a shuttle ran in between. And so I was on that shuttle, and there's all these different, you know, kids on there, and, you know, they've got their music running and things of that nature, kind of a little chaotic. And I was actually uh, sitting there praying, again, kind of the same line of prayer. And the Lord again speaks to me with an audible voice, audible, and just says, why do you not trust me? Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing how the Lord can just sometimes give you a one-sentence answer and how it can really pierce your heart and kind of recalibrate you of where where you need to look at things in life and adjust yourself to God. Mm-hmm. I take it everything worked out. Oh, <laughs> thanks. So I've I've gotten a little bit better trusting him. Well, you know, I I, I got to share too. Yeah, I, I have to. Um, so in in uh, June of two thousand eight, uh, I was up at. Uh, being a part of the senior high camp at Camp Bethel up in our little Super Union grounds. And uh, two miles north there, we've got a, a Boy Scout camp. And uh, we had a one, one of those nights, we had a line of tornadoes that stretched all the way from Omaha up to Sioux City. One of those tornadoes was right at Little Sioux. And uh, it ended up destroying the Boy Scout camp and actually killing four little boys there. Oh, my goodness. Terrible tragedy. 
you know, we, we went up there to, you know, see if we could help out. And of course, you know, it was, it's us, you know, church boys trying to help out Boy Scouts has a, you know, <laughs> on survival stuff. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was a tragedy. But, you know, uh, we didn't even know that the tornado was hitting. We didn't know. By the way, uh, for those of you listening, we have a weather radio there now. We, mm. We're using the, <laughs> our w- best wisdom that we can to be prepared. <laughs> but uh, like I said, we didn't even know that that storm was there. We knew we were having a thunderstorm, and, and we took precautions and you know went down to the bathhouse and such because we knew it was severe. You know, we were in the bathhouse there, and we were singing praises to God, you know, the pass of time, and uh, singing our favorite campfire songs. Well, at the uh, during that same time period, my folks, like I said, there was tornadoes down Omaha and Council Bluffs where I live, and they were down in the basement, uh, which... Just a little side note, my dad is usually one of the guys that's like, I'm not going to the basement. I'm going to just watch the storm, okay? <laughs> so if he's in the basement, you know it's bad, okay? Mm. It, they're, they're there and they're praying because they know that there's a, there's a tornado heading for little Sue. And the Lord speaks to my mother and says, my people need not fear. And you take a look at the situation at hand. You look at the destruction pathway of the tornado. We looked right after. That tornado came right up to the reunion grounds. And it lifted up. And right at the end of our reunion reunion grounds, it touched back down and destroyed everything in its paths, the trees, everything. And you know, the Boy Scouts camp, they were prepared by all physical means possible. You know, they had the, you know, the proper shelter, you know, the concrete walls, adequate space for everybody to fit there. It still wasn't enough. The Lord's people were certainly unprepared physically, but the Lord did protect his people. Mm. Those are some some baseline testimonies I know about Jesus. Something I know from experience about um, his spirit and his church, and this was really my first uh, foundational testimony, I guess I would say. I was 15 years old. I was uh, coming to a point in my life where church was always important, but something just kind of clicked, and churches, God and church, is all there is. And so I had this uh, spiritual dream where I saw three groups of people. Um, And I I saw myself uh, representing the priesthood, leading one group of people, which was Church of Jesus Christ. And it was a very small group of people. And the second group was very, very, very large. And they didn't really have a leader. They're just kind of chaotic and doing their own thing, living life. And then there was a a third group, and I saw Satan, and he was leading that small group over there. And I knew that his intent was to destroy the group that I was trying to protect. 
and to keep alive. And we, as we uh, kept going along, I watched some of, I watched our group getting smaller and smaller. Some people were dying off. Other people were leaving the group and going into the, that chaotic group of just living life, doing whatever they want to do. And I saw Satan taking joy in that. And it was coming to the point that if something didn't change, we were going to be destroyed. And Satan was going to win. And I was um, prompted, along with the rest of the group that remained, to kneel down and beg God for deliverance. And when we did that, when we truly knelt down, all of us, and begged for God's deliverance, his spirit poured out upon myself and the church to a degree that I have not felt since. Mm. And it's something that I can't even really begin to describe in our English language. You know, you can talk about charity and love and mercy and and the power and and all those different aspects, and those all apply. But to accurately describe it just is, is not possible in our language. And his spirit flowed and empowered us, and uh, his spirit flowed into that chaotic group that was doing whatever they wanted to do. And they all perked up, and they came into the fold of the church. And I looked over, and I saw uh, Satan defeated. He was very upset about it. But the, but the Lord had won his people. Mm. And his church survived. And and I share that because we need the endowment of his Holy Spirit. That's what the Church of Jesus Christ needs. And we need to be a humble and a faithful people. And he needs that individually from us. The branch and the vine, no fruit. No fruit is going to happen, is it, without being attached yep. to that? That's a. That seems like such a simple lesson, and yet it's so easy to focus on everything else. But man, just to to beg and know that that's your last hope, and that he's your only hope to get to that point, and then see what he can do with you is amazing, beautiful. That's a. I wonder if you could. I read it in here a testimony just about the healing of a of a church in the local area. Do you want to share that? Maybe to close? Because you know there's a lot of hurt feelings in the church, and I think maybe this is something positive you could share. Yeah. Um, or he says hurt feelings within the church, if you... Yep. I, yeah, who got me? You got it. Yep. I was just uh, trying to recollect what... Uh, yeah. You know, so uh had a, a church family that... Uh, we, you know, up, up home we, we had a run-in too, and I, and I won't get into the details of, of the run-in, but it, it really did cause a division, mm-hmm. um, you know, really Kevin, in all aspects of our, 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 our worship life 
you know, coming together to church. And it was it was a real problem. And we had to learn to work through it. And it was not easy. You know, it took, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, from my side of it, it was, you kind of had multiple run-ins and it just kind of builds up over time. And, and then, you know, you have issues with trust and, you know, there's just, you know, a bunch of pain and, you know, different mixed emotions that go in there. And, you know, one of the things that from my end of it helped heal the breach was realizing what are we, what are we doing here? Really, what are we doing here? We're not here, I'm not here to please myself. I'm here to serve God. I'm here to do his work. That should be the answer of each and every one of us. At least in my mind, if we can start looking at, thing, at things in that, in that uh, respect, we can look at these, you know, like in my situation, the hurt feelings I had with this family. And, and the division that it was causing, I knew it wasn't healthy. But I needed to sacrifice my own feelings about and reach across the table and say, let's, let's get up and let's try this again. Because that's what the Lord would have us to do. That's what forgiveness is about. That's, that's trying to just simply apply the gospel in your lives. And, and you know, and it wasn't easy. You know, you're still kind of wondering, are we going to have another run in here? Are we going to have problems? And we may have problems, and we just we get up and we try again. You know, that's I, my view, that's part of trying to get ourselves prepared to be a part of building the kingdom is because we're all a part of building his kingdom. You know, you ask any saint, you know, do you want to live in the kingdom? Well, yeah, of course you do. Well, then we need to do what we need, what the Lord has told us to do in order to get there. And this is one of those things. And, you know, it's, it's one of the blessings for up, us up, up north. You know, we, we really have two choices. It's you either go to the church with those people <laughs> or you just don't go at all. <laughs> uh, you guys down here, you actually have, this is like one of your few disadvantages. Right. You guys have a problem with something, you just go to another congregation. Yeah. That's not the answer. No. Well, I appreciate that wisdom. I do. Well, Mark, you know, I had a, I had 98-year-old, well, almost 98-year-old lady on a week or so ago, Louise Gregson, and she shared her testimonies. Uh, you know, she had two books full. She's got one book out and another one coming of her whole life. And I'm glad that you are writing down your testimonies. I see some Francis Harper in you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you are uh, actually documenting them and, um, and maybe someday... There'll be a book coming forth, but if nothing else, um, just that you keep those fresh in your mind to share. I mean, you came in here today and just basically for the last hour shared how the Lord's working in your life. And that shows everybody that I hope it gives all of us confidence in our Lord and trust, you know, when we hear this, because for those listening, uh, as wonderful as a person as Mark is, he the Lord doesn't love him any more than he loves all of you. And so he is... If he's doing these things for Brother Mark, you know that he has his eye on you as well. And so I know Mark would agree that. Amen to that. Yeah. So thank you, brother, for coming. 
Thank you for having me. I hope this is a blessing for everyone who listens to it. It, it, I know it will be, and it'll be here hopefully for years to come uh, to remind us of the personal God uh, that we serve. So uh, enjoy your time here this weekend, and before you head back, are you heading back tonight or Uh, tomorrow? Tomorrow, okay. Stay in and go to church somewhere tomorrow, I'm sure. Well, very good. Uh, Until next time, God bless. God bless.